Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by a partnership between Missio Alliance and Kairos Partnerships. What's up, JR? Hey, Doug. Good to see you as always. You too, buddy. Wish we were sitting at a baseball game right now, like talking. Man, I was thinking the other day how long it's been since any of us have seen live sports. Ugh. Like, what is that going to be like? When is that going to happen? I know in the grand scheme of things, it's not totally significant, but man, it can be a wonderful, healthy diversion. And uh, there's somebody I know on Facebook who who wrote, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. And he's rewatching like the 1993 Eastern division playoffs of the NBA championship. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> this guy's going through some, I mean, I, I'm a basketball fan, but that's some serious going back in the vault right there. <laughs> that's, a, that's a deep dive, like really deep dive. <laughs> oh man. Oh, oh my wow. Gosh. Well, it's like, I know uh, by the time this episode comes out, the first live sporting event will be coming up with uh, with NASCAR. They have a, <laughs> a NASCAR race. And I was talking with some of the day, they're like, there's going to be 400 million people tuning into NASCAR races. <laughs> they weren't NASCAR fans before they the virus. <laughs> they certainly are now. <laughs> people looking up all these new names. and uh, Oh, man. So good. Yeah. So, hey, I noticed um on uh just recently you you completed something that was pretty exciting um something you've been working on for quite some time yeah yeah it was a long time but i just made a commitment a few years ago that i felt like it was important for me to commit to writing out the four gospels by hand and i think when i originally started i thought oh that'll be a great idea it'll it'll take a couple months Nope. It took a lot longer than that. And it's a lot more tedious than I imagined, but I just finished, I didn't finish the whole thing. I just finished the book of Matthew, uh, 28 chapters, writing it out by hand. There were times my hand was about to fall off my fingers, you know, my hand would cramp up, but it was amazing. And it wasn't just to check the box to say, look what I did. Now I'm off to the book of Mark. It was amazing the process to go through it. My hand hated it, but everything else I absolutely loved because it forces you to slow down. There were so many times. I've read the book of Matthew many times. We've preached through it before. There are many times writing through it. I'd go, I never noticed that detail. Mm. Are, are you kidding me? Like, how did I miss this? This is unbelievable. And I think it was the the analogy for me has been... It's like driving through your community versus walking through your community. When you, when you drive through your community, you think, oh, I see everything. Oh, I noticed that store. Oh, there's that coming up. But man, when you walk through your community, you begin to see details. Like, I mean, even here in town, Doug, there are times I walk down Main Street and I'm like, when, when did that store come in? And then someone will be like, that store has been here for like eight, nine months. I'm like, What? And I just realized I haven't walked and paid attention to that, even though it's been here the whole time. I'm I'm driving through at 25, 30 miles an hour, which is different than three miles an hour when I'm walking. You just begin to notice things, see things, smell things, um, notice details mm. that you don't normally notice. And I think writing it out by hand with scripture um, has been has been that process for me. I'm going, how did I miss this? This is amazing. And I just linger in, in these little details, um, that have been, that have been fantastic. So, uh, it's been a fun process. It's been a really fun process. That's really cool. JR. Are there, are there any like little nuances even now that you're thinking that were really significant? Um, I knew you were going to ask that. There are like 50 of them and I can't think of many. There's, <laughs> there's one that I can think of off the top of my head. That's been really helpful, uh, where it said like, and Jesus spoke to their thoughts. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, I've never noticed that before. It's like he read their mind and now he's speaking, even though they didn't say what they were thinking, he knew what they were thinking. And he said, and he spoke to their thoughts. And it was the religious leaders speaking poorly about him. Um, you know, in their mind, they were thinking this, then he spoke to their thoughts and responded to them. And I thought, wow. Wow, that's amazing. So there are those little mm. phrases that in reading it, as fast readers as we are, we just kind of drive past it. But when I'm walking through the passage itself with my hand, I just go, huh. And it just sends me off on a new thing. Oh, I know another one. It says, um, where they went up on the Mount of Olives, Jesus and his disciples, and they sang a hymn together, and then they dispersed. Mm. And I had this thought, what does Jesus's singing voice sound like? Hmm. 
What, what, yeah. Any of the disciples, did they sing off, off key? Are they out of tune? Or did they have amazing voices? Did they sing in harmony? I mean, like, I, it's just a thought I've never thought about before. Um, reading or writing out the, I'm, I'm remembering now a few now, um, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, look at the lilies of the field. I remember thinking, I wonder what those lilies smelled like. What color were they? And so all of a sudden I'm asking questions about the text I've never thought about before. So that, that's been a really, really fun, fun process um, to do that. And again, it's going to take a while and I'm into Mark. Fortunately, Mark is the shortest of all of them. So uh, hopefully I'll get some, some momentum here rolling with this, but it's just been a really great process. And I, I posted on Facebook and I thought people, oh, that's really neat. Many people responded saying, oh my gosh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to join you. Now they're not going to do the gospels, but someone said, oh, I started Hebrews last week or, hey, you know, if you'd recommend a book, what would it be? Uh, I would say, hey, start with Ruth or Jonah or the book of James or Ephesians. Start with a small one, maybe even second John, third John. That's fine. Start there, Jude. But it's just a wonderful exercise to get into. And so I want to challenge our listeners, pick a small book. Don't just write out a couple of verses or a chapter or two, write out the whole book, even if it's a small book, because um, it's a it's an amazing process. Um, and someone pushed back a little bit and said, are you saying we shouldn't read in large chunks? And I read last week, you know, a whole bunch of, and I'm like, no, we need both. It's kind of like, if you think about a lake, think about a big lake, mm-hmm. we need to, to understand the lake, we need to scuba dive by doing deep dives to understand the depths of it, like writing it out by hand. But we also can water ski on the lake where we just skim real fast across the whole top of it and we get the kind of the whole lay of the land uh, and the water uh, when we're at it. So I think we need to ski, uh, water ski and scuba dive at the same time. I mean, I'm also reading through the Bible in a year with my 10-year-old. So we're kind of water skiing, but I'm also doing some scuba diving as well. And I feel like the beauty and the vastness and the shape of the lake of scripture, I'm really getting it in a new way because I'm mm-hmm. doing both water skiing and scuba diving. So that's yeah. been, that's been really fun to be able to do yeah. that. That's really cool, Jar. I know, um, I'm, I'm on, I've been working on Mark off and on for the last two years and I am in chapter 15. So I'm almost finished, which yeah, is pretty, great. pretty awesome. Um, awesome. That's awesome. But I've really appreciated. And I love that image of, of getting to know the whole landscape and we have to sometimes be able to fly up, you know, or water ski and, and also dive into it. Um, but one of the things that I, I think is also really great about it. And I think back to a story that I heard, um, I remember, remember you were memorizing the Sermon on the Mount a few years back um, and you were taking some folks to Israel and you're getting ready to, 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 to teach the Sermon on the Mount in the, you know, in, in context, in the space. And so I'm really excited because I feel like this interview that we have, I got to watch some of your amazing love for Judaism, uh, pour <laughs> My out. nerdiness, you mean? <laughs> I mean, we could call it that if we want, but I was just thinking like super cool way of being really interested. Uh, but it was really great. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think it's really interesting to hear how, like, even as you look into those little details, what's so amazing about scripture, it's like, we keep plumbing the depths and learning the bigger space of the Jesus was a Jew. So learning the space in the context of what that means. And so, yeah, I'd love you to take a few minutes and just kind of like sort of grease the skids as we get ready to jump into this interview. Yeah, man. I'm so excited about this interview uh, with Marty. Um, Everybody's going to love this. And uh, Marty has taken the Jewishness of Jesus as a Christian very, very seriously. Mm -hmm. And you're going to catch this. Um, I knew the Bible was important, uh, but then I spent a semester, fall of 1999, living on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, attending Jerusalem University College. It changed my life that semester. Now I have the privilege to serve on the board of that college. Um, Unbelievable, life-changing. And the text of the Bible became not just ink on a page. It was almost like a children's pop-up book that every page that turned, it just felt like it became three-dimensional when I saw the land. That's why many people call the land of Israel the fifth gospel, because when you understand that gospel, the other four gospels make a whole bunch of sense. But more than just the geography and the history and the topography and the land, all that's crucial and very important, but it's the culture, the first century culture, and nobody has done a deeper dive that I know personally uh, 
more than Marty Solomon. And so this interview is just going to be amazing. He's got a podcast. You and I have been turned on to his podcast, which we talk about in this interview with him. Unbelievable. We highly recommend it. Um, but but he's just taken this so seriously of learning from rabbis, learning from others, learning from other Christians. We talk in the episode about Ray Vanderlaan and others who I've, I don't know personally, but I've, I've studied under him indirectly through books and videos and, and things like that. But Marty has studied directly under Ray Vanderlaan. It's unbelievable. We often forget that Jesus was a Jew. And when we understand the Jewishness of Christianity, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. Um, the layers and the depths. And so, you know, the Jews often talk about a passage of scripture being like a gem and with different facets on it, right? We just, we turn the gem just a little bit and it reflects and refracts life light in different directions. And we go, Whoa, I'm seeing a new side of a diamond that's shimmering and beautiful in ways I haven't seen it before. And so, um, that's just an unbelievable, uh, gift that Marty gives to us. So the whole goal, Doug, is that it just whets our appetite. And we really want to say, we hope it whets your t- appetite so much that you say, you know what? I need to subscribe to his podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got years, years. Not, not a couple of weeks or months, years of podcasts of content. You get lost on that podcast. There's so much good stuff on it. <laughs> it's it's uh, so true. It's so true. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. But uh, I think, and you and I have talked about this before, Marty's passion and his commitment, right? This isn't some fad or some cool thing on the side. This has opened his eyes and changed his life mm. to understand the, the context of this. We know context is important, but man, when you understand the Jewish context, there's sometimes you can just dive deep into the context of the passage, share that, and then read the passage itself and sit down because this the passage itself can almost preach a sermon if we just know the context around it. So it's an unbelievable thing. And um, I, I love doing a deep dive on uh, the Jewishness of, of Jesus. There are a lot of good books on that. I know you have uh, referenced some of that earlier in our conversation before we recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh, even some of the books that uh, Marty has has referenced, you, you mentioned that you've enjoyed as well. So I'm just, I'm thrilled about this. I have learned a ton from Marty. I will continue to learn a ton from Marty, but I find myself when I'm on a run or whatever, listening to a podcast uh, of his, I just even verbally out loud go, wow, no way. And I'm so glad no one's around me because they think <laughs> I w- was weird talking to myself, but I'm just really blown away by what I'm learning in the context and the dots that he connects of pointing and connecting it back to Jesus, uh, who was a Jew, Mm. who was a Jew. So Mm. yeah, it's beautiful stuff. We are excited to have on the show with us today, Marty Solomon. Marty has been in pastoral roles through various ministries since 2001, and currently he is the president of Impact Campus Ministries and also the co-host of the Bama Podcast. His passion is to provide students with an intensive discipleship program similar to what a student would encounter in the first century. He brings the scriptures alive by digging into the context of the cultural world of the Bible. We hope you are inspired and encouraged to jump into the scripture after this amazing interview with Marty Solomon. Well, Marty, we're so glad that you're able to join us here on the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. We really appreciate you joining us. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, Doug and I were at the epic first ever Epic Fail Pastors Conference that was here in Lansdale, Pennsylvania, on the north side of Philadelphia, and we remembered later that you were also in attendance there, which is crazy. I was, yes, guy in the back corner. Yep. <laughs> and I remember you asked some really good questions during that event as well. So, but it's great to great to connect with you here, and we're so excited to be able to have you tell your story. This is something I'm very passionate about. And uh, I know you've devoted your life to this, which is great. But just for those of us who may not know you or the Bama Discipleship podcast that you run, tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah. So um, uh, in some ways, my story is kind of the typical story. In some ways, it's totally unique. Um, Maybe that's the way it always is. But I was raised in a Protestant Christian home, um, Dutch Reformed as I grew up, uh, RCA was the denomination that I called home. And um, my, I knew of our family's Jewish heritage. We had, had to do a couple uh, family projects throughout junior high and high school. And um, 
so I'd, I'd bumped into it. I, I knew that, but I was raised in a typical evangelical, uh, very fundamentalist, really. Uh, Dr. James Dobson was kind of the fourth member of the Trinity in our home. So <laughs> that was definitely my experience there. And um, just focus on the family uh, kind of was a big influence in our in our house through my mother. And so I was raised in a very typical evangelical mindset of that Jewish background of mine was nice, but irrelevant in Jesus. And that was kind of my experience um, just growing up. Went to Bible college. Um, I'm giving you the short version of this story, but really felt the call to to go into ministry. Um, I don't have a long list of hocus pocus stories, but my call to ministry is one of those that just really felt like God was almost in an audible voice calling me to ministry. Um, went there, went to a Bible college, made no sense. Uh, I went to reformed colleges, liked them, universities liked them. It was great. Ended up going to this Stone Campbell Restoration Movement Bible College in Boise, Boise Bible College. And uh, got my degree there. Um, went there as this reformed kid, flaming five point hyper Calvinist. Um, really was a pain in their neck for a couple years. Somewhere in the middle of Bible college, I had a, I had a kind of my crisis of faith moment, I guess. Like everything had gone well. I was that Sunday school kid. I had all the answers, like had a wonderful family. Life had worked out for me. Doctrine is beautiful. The Bible is awesome. And then somewhere in the midst of that, I had this, um, high school kid in my youth group and was an atheist, was my best attender, never missed. Um, was really drawn to the community, but just not drawn to Jesus, at least as we were presenting him and, um, came from a broken family. I used to get together with this kid every Thursday morning. We would argue about literal six day creationism in Genesis versus Darwinism. And we would have donuts and coffee every Thursday. And, and he came from a broken family and, and would have breakfast with his dad on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And one week had, had walked in and found his dad had committed suicide and he was one that found him. And, um, the problem in that moment for me was it was kind of the first time I came face to face with crisis of that kind. And my theology actually explained it perfectly. God is the potter where the clay it's all done for God's glory. And I went into this weird funk of like, if that's who God is, uh, he doesn't deserve my worship. And this, like I was in this blasphemous space, but I was, I was just like this, I'm not smoking what I'm selling. This is not okay. And I was probably on the verge of probably walking away from, I'm pastoring a church at that point, walking away from kind of the ministry. Somebody handed me some voices uh, at that point, Rob Bell, uh, somebody handed me a Numa. He was articulating the faith in a way that was radically changing everything for me. Through Rob, I got connected to Ray Vanderlaan. Um, it, who I had been raised on through, through all that focus on the family stuff. Oh, but that's I, right. Dutch yeah. reform and yeah, yeah. Focus on the family that the world may know. I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, my wow. home church was one of Ray's eight, what he called Shafela churches. Wow. He would come visit all the time. I just didn't know I was a high school kid chasing girls. Like I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and so I got kind of reconnected with Ray through Ray. I got to go study to, Is to Israel and, and that's where the pieces just continually just kept Oh, there is a hermeneutic. There is a way of looking at the scriptures that holds the scriptures in context. It doesn't ask the same set of questions. It's not out to defeat this other world. And yet this other world just kind of ends up being, oh, I don't know if I want to call it obsolete. It's just, it's this, it's this weird set of questions that the Bible isn't asking. And so it just changed everything. I mean, it, it trickled through through all kinds of stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I totally left out my family, obviously, which is a part of my story. Got married uh, right before that crisis of faith. We ended up having two great kids. I mean, it's just been this wild journey since then. And out of that is where all this stuff kind of came out of that experience. I always wondered where and how you got connected with Ray. And as far as I understand, you would consider Ray a, a mentor. Like you, you've, I think you've used the term, he's your rabbi. And so talk about how that influence happened, that first trip to Israel. And then how does that relationship with Ray continue? And by the way, for those of you who don't know Ray Vanderlaan, just Google him. He's a, a master, a wizard rabbi when it comes to all, of, all things Jewish understanding of, of scripture. But how did that connection with Ray continue? Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I'd grown up on his videos and then kind of stepped away from hearing his voice for a while while I was pastoring a church. And, 
And as I stepped out of that ministry chapter, I was young. I mean, I was pastoring a church at 18 years old. I did that for six, seven years. Um, I had burned every bridge imaginable as a young narcissistic pastor is going to do, um, of which I am. And he, and, and the only bridge I had left was back to my home church. So I did this four year season where I stepped, I kind of stepped back into the ministry and it was a healing time for me. And during that time, literally the first week on the job, they said, you're going to show up and nobody's going to be here because we're all with Ray on a tour. So I showed up, nobody was in the office. They all got back. He came back to speak like a couple months later. They said, you need to be, we're, we're going to have you be his chauffeur and uh, you can drive him around for the weekend. And you need to make sure you ask him if you can go to Israel, to which I thought like, yeah, I'm just going to ask him if I can go to Israel. <laughs> so I did. Uh, at the end of the weekend, I said, I, I'm supposed to ask you if I can go to Israel. Like, I'm sure that's kind of like not something I can just do. And he's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. So he called me a few months later. and was like, hey, you want to go to Israel in a couple of weeks? Yeah, sure. So that was literally the journey of went with him to Israel with a group of Amish people. Uh, just unbelievably. <laughs> it was like two tours in one. Um, it was wild. <laughs> 52 Amish folks um, and Mennonites and the Anabaptists and just, just awesome. It was great. And, um, and then got to go back to Turkey for part two, uh, with him, uh, just a year and a half later and, and just stayed connected with him through, through those efforts. So uh, I, I think I would view the relationship much more closely than Ray would like Ray's had people he's actually called to be his disciples to, mm. to, and, and I've just always done that from a distance. And I don't know if he just never saw that in me or just knew I would do it on my own. I don't know which one it is, but I've always just gobbled this stuff up. He's been really accessible for me and, and an encouragement to me and just told me to just go. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I've listened to his teaching for just hundreds of hours worth of just teachings and teachings and teachings that I was able to, to receive from him. So, yeah, he was definitely one of those most formative voices. And I always call him my little R rabbi because um, he's been he's been one of my major teachers. So. Yeah, that's how that's how I got introduced. And really, Israel and Turkey has been our I've spent more time with them over there than I have stateside. But I suppose that'd be expected. Yeah, no, that's great. You uh, I think the, the three of us are assuming some things maybe our listeners haven't. And that's your passion for this this Jewish hermeneutic. And maybe let's unpack that a little bit more, because, you know, I, I had a chance to study and live in Israel for a semester in college that changed my life, literally changed my, my life. My wife did that too, another semester. That's why we're married because of that experience. And that uh, is unbelievable. My eyes were opened up to see uh, it wasn't ink on the paper any longer. It was this three-dimensional, sometimes four-dimensional Bible, just jumping these stories, these passages, these words of Jesus jumping off the page. Why is this so important? And I'm thinking for people that may say, well, I, I'm a Christian. What do you mean Jewish hermeneutic? Why does this matter? We're Christians. Help us mm -hmm. understand why this is so crucial to understanding Jesus, the words of Jesus, discipleship, and what it means to be a follower of his. Yeah. The, so, you know, when we're reading, you know, I give this fundamentalist evangelical upbringing. I always give it this smirking kind of reference in my life. But one of the things that I love about it and that I will always be indebted to that upbringing was it taught me how to love above all things, the Bible and Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, now, I've never been able to figure out the application of that necessarily as far as I observed it, but they taught me above everything else to love the Bible and to love Jesus with everything that I had, both those things together. And it was that same commitment that so disturbed me when I went through that crisis of faith because the Bible wasn't making sense. And this was not who I had learned Jesus to be. Like, that's not what my experience was of who the Christ was in my life. And so there was this dissonance there. And so on one hand, part of my answer to that was for me and my experience, it, and I hate to use the word resolve, but it on some level resolved that dissonance in my experience, like the Brett was like, oh, well, this make, well, now the Bible, it, it starts to hum with the same wavelength that the Christ is humming with. Like now all of a sudden this all works. But on another level, just on a purely academic logical one, I mean, we're reading this Jewish book written by Jewish authors to a Jewish audience. We claim as Lord and Savior, this Jewish rabbi who had Jewish disciples um, even the things I was taught in Bible college and, and just elsewhere in the church that were more Gentile in nature, I found out were actually more Jewish in context than me even. It, the whole thing was just Jewish. And so 
if I was asking the wrong questions, if I was looking at it through the long, wrong lens, if I was evaluating it with Western Christian measuring sticks that weren't supposed to be used, I was coming up with the wrong answers, the wrong evaluations. And so uh, those were the things that for me, because bad readings of the Bible have led to all kinds of horrific experiences. Uh, I'm sure just us three here and and anybody listening to this pot, like we have our own experiences, I'm sure, of what bad readings of the Bible can do, what bad theology can be responsible for. And and but even beyond our own experiences, like we we prop up and justify systematic, systemic injustice, systematic oppression, um, this commitment to imperial power and comfort and privilege man and and it wrecks people and if you're on the right side of the conversation it feels really good and you learn how to manipulate it and how to but a, a good reading of the bible through the appropriate lens because there's there's a hermeneutical question what did the author mean when they wrote this and what did the audience hear when they heard it that's the inspired conversation and and i and that fundamental upbringing taught me to believe in the inspired like I remember a quote by Brian McLaren talking about, it's not that we have a lower view of scripture. It's that there's a higher view of scripture. Like I want to know not just how to exegete the passage, but if that's not what the author meant, I believe too much in the inspiration of the scriptures to just let that go because it makes sense in a systematic theology textbook. Um, I want to know that conversation more. Um, and so that Jewish hermeneutic for me, it, and, and I'm sure there are other options. Mm. I, I'm not the one that possesses even the people that have taught me. It's a large, wide conversation. There are, there are problems with our hermeneutic and, and benefits to the others. And that's just our experience in this. But for me, it made, it made the difference. It made the difference for me. So. Marty, I think, first of all, I wish people could see us head nodding throughout this entire conversation because <laughs> JR and I are both nodding our heads the whole time. Um, but even just thinking, I, I really appreciate the way that you're articulating this because my sense is uh, many of us who've been trained in seminary or in Bible colleges, or maybe we've just been hungry for scripture for years, like there comes this this tipping point where where what we've known or what we've believed has been has come in contact with our experience and it like just shifts and changes things and how much of that like you know when you talk about that experience you had with the student um I would love to hear like, what are some of the tools, like just the super practical tools for, for pastors? Like, Hey, like, you know, when you want to understand a germ, uh, a, a Jewish hermeneutic, here's like just one really simple tool to begin to, 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 to see things differently, or maybe it's a resource or something like that, or a time when you've experienced that. Yeah. If I wanted to boil it down to one, it would be that one question of, uh, what does the author mean when he, when he, when he wrote this, when she wrote this, whatever that, that might be. But there, there was just a whole posture I brought. I think that would be the larger mm -hmm. way to answer this question. When I, when I was, when I was trained in the scripture, I was trained to exegete it, to proclaim it to, because the King, like there was this later, I would use the terms like Imperial. Like I talk about empire and Shalom on the podcast quite a bit. Like there's this, we function on imperial values. Like we're going to take, we're going to build, it's very Roman. It's, it's built on effectiveness and efficiency and we're going to take ground and, and, and all of those things. And, and so you, you come at the scripture as, as though you have mastered the scripture or you're going to master the scripture and use the scripture for God's ends unintentionally or intentionally, however that works. And this Jewish hermeneutic to me changed the posture to, whoa, this book wants to master me. And I have no idea where this book is going to take me today. And I have no, and it was that, I mean, I guess mystery would be one sense of the word, but just, I mean, the rabbis talk about the Bible being a gym with 72 sides to it. You can, every time you twist the Bible a little bit, the, the, the scriptures a little bit more, you see it in a brand new light in a brand new way. And it not, like there, it just changed my posture with how I approach the text. Um, 
and really to a discipline that I needed to learn at that point in my life. Mm. My narcissism and the training I was given were a really bad combination. Mm. And for me to all of a sudden come back to, uh, it taught me, it was one of many tools that God was using and continues to use in my life to teach me a more humble, a more open-handed, a more, man, what do I know? <laughs> but I'll tell you what, this story is powerful and it's moving. And in, in Ray's words, it doesn't come back void and it always accomplishes its purpose. There's something supernatural about what this story does. Um, that posture alone, just when I think back to that, that pre-faith crisis me, and then like this rescued me, it was this, I don't have to master the text. I will never master the text. I cannot wait to see where the text is going to take me next. That posture changed my life. Yeah, one of the things in one of the classes that I took on Friday mornings in my semester uh, at JUC was with a rabbi who taught us Chavruta and of looking at a passage and asking questions about it. And you talk about different facets of the gem that were shimmering. We looked at the story of the Akedah, the binding of Isaac or the sacrifice of Isaac. It was unbelievable. I thought, oh yeah, you know, and he said, come up with a hundred questions by next week. Put your name at the top, list a hundred questions and uh, don't put any answers down. And I'm thinking, what? I have like three questions. And the more I dug into it, the more I thought, this is a new story that just that one exercise, I learned more in that exercise of Chavruta than anything of the 10 sermons, the 15 sermons I had heard on that. Even like the Akedah, why do we call it the sacrifice of Isaac? Isn't it more accurate to be the binding of Isaac like, like Jewish scholars call it? And so anyway, I, I just, that alone serves for me as the story of my awakening in addition to the field trips where they call it the fifth gospel, right? To see the land and how it just influences everything else. Um, you mentioned earlier about your podcast. Tell us about Bama Discipleship Podcast. And we're obviously going to promote the snot out of it. And we, I just, Doug and I are huge fans of it. We're going to put it in the show notes and tell everybody you need to listen to it. But tell us about Bama. Even what is Bama? Tell us what Bama means and then sure. uh, how long the podcast has been going. Yeah. I mean, God made me and created me to be a teacher. Um, this is who I am. It's who I'm always going to be. It's why I'm, I've, I've been put here on this earth as far as I'm aware of it. Um, and so having had this experience and having learned all these things, I immediately wanted to figure out how do you package this and start giving it away to people? Cause more and more people need to have the experience that I just had. And, and, uh, and, and so I came back home and I, I started, a. Uh, a, a Bible study that really wasn't a part of my job description. And my church reminded me of that. And it was beautiful. And it's actually kind of what led me to campus ministry because my job description didn't include me teaching all these things. And, and I wanted to give this to young adults. Like I wanted to give it to a group of people that um, were old enough to make their own decisions, but also not old enough that they had marriages and mortgages and three kids and, and just the practical stuff of life that makes it far more complicated. And so I got into campus ministry and, and was able to kind of build this platform with college students where, where I could teach and, and then experiment with discipleship in a brand new way. Cause Ray taught me about discipleship in a way that I, I was not seeing in any, any, and that's not a condemnation. It's just, I was not, I had never experienced that. We called a lot of things discipleship, like 7 a.m. at Starbucks for an hour. That's discipleship. And and assimilating people into our mega churches. That's discipleship. And there's all this stuff we call discipleship, all of which is fantastic and good. We should be doing all of it. But this like, come follow me uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. That kind of like living life together. And 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 I wasn't trying to duplicate it exactly because I'm not a Jewish rabbi. I don't live in the first century. There's but how can we start to get closer to that? So that was what I was trying to do. And a part of that program, that larger discipleship program experience was trying to deconstruct our understanding of the Bible because we've all been taught that we understand it and we know it and you just got to memorize the answers. And so how do we, how do we deconstruct that and then reconstruct a new approach? So that class, it was a class, um, wasn't very innovative. <laughs> and, uh, but it, it was just growing because I was working in my gift giftedness. And, and then I was asked to serve as the president of our organization here at impact campus ministries. And, um, 
and just the practicality of my job. I couldn't be in the classroom on a regular basis. So I wasn't trying to be innovative or cute. I was just desperation. I thought, well, we'll flip the classroom. I wasn't aware it was actually a thing, a flipped classroom. I didn't know that was a thing. Um, we'll just flip it and, and I'll put the material out there. And when I'm in town, we can have a discussion more like a lab. Um, and, but the material can be consumed on a regular basis, whether I'm in town or out of town. And, uh, that's where the pot, the podcast was, well, that's just the right platform. And if other people want to access it, they'll be able to, it's designed for my students. So when you listen to like the very beginning of our podcast, like it's not what it is today uh, at all. And you've been it's doing the, this for several years, right? I mean, 2016. how many years? Yeah. Wow. August, wow. August of 2016 is when we started. And, um, it was this really small and maybe a handful of people listening around the country. And then it just kept growing and kept doing this thing and became like a podcast. Um, and so that's, it, it's, it's this big journey. It's five sessions. You're walking from Genesis all the way through Revelation and then even a fifth session through church history. And you're just kind of walking through God's story. You're trying to understand God's story as a complete narrative arc is what you're trying to do. Um, rather than little chunks of scripture here and there, or I like the prophets or I don't like the history or the, like, I, I want to know how it all works. Like what has God been doing from the foundations of the world? How do we read the whole Bible as a narrative in its arc from a Jewish perspective? It's, it's just a deconstructive journey mm. through the Bible. And we're, we're mm. right now in real time coming up on towards the end of session four, uh, which is the rest of the new Testament and yeah. So it has been this wild, wild journey, but that's what it is. We called it Bay Mob just because one of my favorite things that I learned that the, the Bima is this elevated platform in the center of these first century synagogues. Like later they would put it more like a stage and the Bima is more of a stage like in our churches that's influenced by Western Hellenism. But, but in its original context, those original first century, those first synagogues that we've ever found, the Bima is always in the middle because it was a statement like the community comes and gathers around the text. The text is central. And as much as we talk about the Bible in evangelical circles or even fundamentalist circles, we really aren't in love with the Bible. We're in love with our understanding of the Bible. We're in love with our doctrine or our dogma, but we don't really gather around the Bible just for the Bible's sake. Mm. That's what I wanted to recapture. So we called it Bima just because I, I want everything that my ministry is about to be circling around to have the text and what got the story of God be central to what we're on. So my passion is still to this day, the Bible. Like I'm, I'm just very, I love the text. I think God does things through the text. Obviously I love Jesus. That's not to say anything about, I, I, I love the critique of always it's Jesus. Jesus is more important than the Bible. Absolutely. Um, but, but that Bible is an awful big part of what God's always done through his people. And as a Jew, uh, there's this special calling I have as the keeper of Torah. Like, mm. That's part of what I do. And I, I, that's not necessarily everybody else's call, but it's mine. And mm. so uh, that's, what it's, that's why we've called it that and what it's about. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, Doug and I have talked about this often that um, we've been around a lot of people that are willing to deconstruct but they don't stick around and don't give much hope to reconstruct. And one of the things that I just have great respect for people who are willing to deconstruct in a helpful way and then reconstruct in a hopeful way. And you have done both. And I think that's one of the reasons I love what you're doing is you go, whoa, whoa. and another way to put it would be unlearning what we thought what the Bible was about and then relearning what it's actually about. And so, I mean, the deconstruction, reconstruct, just fancy words for unlearning, relearning. And so I so appreciate that. And the Bema that you talked about, you know, just, uh, you know, in May I was in Turkey and Greece and and um, I know you've been there many times to, to Corinth, but I remember standing up on the, the Bema platform there. And uh, it is weird to think that, a f you know, you and I as friends, that halfway around the world, we've st we stood on the same little platform in the same little ruins of the same little room uh, there on the ruins of, uh, of Corinth. But it's amazing, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, what, what do you see when you're done? with the five, five sessions, right? You're, you're in four. I know you're probably another year and a half away. Are you going to start back over again? The session uh, one? 
Oh man, you have literally caught me on the greatest day. Because after <laughs> I hang up on this call, Mr. Brent Billings is standing just to my left over here. Oh, fantastic. And we, we are going to have a brainstorming session. And that is our topic. So at the moment... So I'll hot take. On, yeah, yeah, breaking yeah, news. Let, let's yeah. hear it. <laughs> okay, yeah. So so you uh, literally... Um, uh, we we finish wrapping up session five next week. Um uh, I don't, whenever this episode ends up posting, we're recorded through January of 2021. Wow. So, wow. Uh, that's going to allow me to move and we're still going to be posting. Uh, my, my family's moving to Cincinnati in June. So we're, we'll be able to just keep posting through that process. I can get my family settled. I can take a deep breath. I can have a Sabbath or two. I can look around. I can enjoy the place. And then we'll get on to whatever is next. What is next? We have some ideas. We have some hunches. We're going to keep putting out some we're going to do session six. Uh, we're going to, uh, I think we're going to call it postscripts. Hmm. And we're just going to talk about e everything from corrections that we need to make. Cause believe it or not, I got lots of stuff wrong in the <laughs> podcast. It's just a part of the process. Um, we're, we're going to come back and dive deeper into some things. We're going to, uh, I hope to pr start producing maybe some video content, nothing, nothing fantastic, nothing Bible, Bible project level, nothing like that, but, but something that maybe adds a, adds a visual component. I, I think maybe you would appreciate this, JR. One of my thoughts is to make uh, somewhat of a, of a liturgy that doesn't necessarily replace the, the need or the work of the church, but gives us some, some grounded way of gathering together. I think Brian McLaren wrote the book, We Make the Road by Walking, which was basically just a uh, 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 decentralized liturgy where he argued, please don't leave your churches. Do not call this thing a church. But if we're trying to have a vibrant, alive faith and we're just waiting for our leaders to figure out how to do this, um, do this in the meantime, I loved that idea. And I thought, well, let's create something that's Bema-esque that doesn't necessarily go step in step with the podcast. But if we're starting to build a community around some of these ideas I work really hard to make sure we don't drift towards cultic, like some weird, like we need to give lots of space for this to look like it has to be completely decentralized. I don't want to control it or drive it, but have some kind of let's gather around these ideas, ask these sets of questions as a people go back out and respond something. I, th those are just some, I, I don't know if that's what we're going to do, but those are some of my, some of my thoughts. I love those thoughts. Um, so if, if you could think about what, what you just said, and in terms of, if you could put your, your dream into the heart, uh, and mind of every pastor who's listening to this, like, what would your hope be for them? Like, what would your, how, how would you see this really impacting the church as a whole? Yeah. Well, especially the pastor part of your question, that's really, that's really good. I don't know if this is even a good logical response to your question. I'll tell you what my heart is. My my heart is that like when we come to engage the scriptures, it would be this like words like joy and like, I don't know if rest is such an overused buzzword for good reason today, but this, uh, I just... Uh, there's this weird intensity that I approached the Bible with before in a past life as a pastor, because I, there was all this weird expectation, internal and external expectation. There was this misplaced mission when it came to the Bible. Like I would love for us all as people, pastors, people of the, uh, of the scriptures, people that are kind of called to, to handle those. Well, if it was just like this, like wonder, I like that word, wonder, awe, uh, joy, like release <laughs> so that I don't have to like, I, I'm not the owner of this process. I'm not the one that ends the conversation. Great Rod Bell quote. Uh, it's the beginning of the conversation. Like my work just gets the conversation started because the real magic is going to happen somewhere else with you all. Um, if we could, if we could have that kind of like. Oh, I just love not the Bible itself, not worshiping the wrong thing, but I love coming to the scripture because it's this well that, that just refreshes my soul and taps me into Jesus, the Christ. And I don't know that, that, that would be, that would be my heart that we would quit 
that we would fall in love with questions and doubt. My goodness. That's one of the things I hear the most from everybody. Pastors are not. People just say, you've given me space to not have to know. And you've taught me that asking questions is not only okay, like we should do it. Um, yes. And and if you're willing to ask questions and enjoy the process, it just simply means that you see the Bible a particular kind of way. Mm. And that's, mm. uh, man, that's my, let God be God. Let the scriptures be the scriptures and just come along for the ride because it's awesome. And it's, that's, that posture has been life-giving to me. That's, yeah. that's, that's so, that's, yeah. Okay. I'm in, let's do this. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, cause I, I think what you're describing to me feels much more like the pastor's job then is to get the conversation going, um, and to almost create space and freedom for people to begin to see it, see the scriptures as something much bigger and much more inspired and much more beautiful and much more dangerous than what we have packed it into. Is that, is that pretty accurate? Am I, and what am I missing? No, I think that's really accurate. I mean, like our job is to kind of rub shoulders with the, like if there's a job for, cause the job of clergy is not the point. Like there were no priests in the garden of Eden. Like they, they weren't needed. Um, they were needed later. But they still didn't. They still weren't the point. The point was where everybody, everybody else, like vocation, secular work, like that's where the actual action is. So, but the priest exists because, in the midst of doing that stuff, we need somebody who's like rubbing shoulders with this, with this God character, with the holiness, with the sanctity, with the sacred stuff, with the text, with the. There are these like holy things that we rub shoulders. I don't know if I want to say we're experts in, we're just more intimate with because somebody said, we're going to pay you to be more connected, more intimate with this stuff. If that's true, we should be, if there's anything we're experts in, it's how, it's how unexperted we are. <laughs> it's the fact that this, this thing we're rubbing shoulders with is a massive mystery. It is beautiful and it is huge. And so we turn around and we go, I have, I have walked around this mysterious thing this mysterious God, this mysterious text. I have wandered around it and I know some of the, some of the places to like get you in. And I know some of the doorways. I, I really am just learning. I have no idea what's, I, I've been inside a little bit. I really don't know, but, but you should go, you should taste this too. Like it, it's this invitation. That's what our job, and that should just be a joy. But somewhere we, we were, we were taught that we're the ones that actually tame the beast. Um, Shane Hips wrote this great book, Selling Water by the River. Oh my goodness, I love that book. Such a great, such a great metaphor that the church is standing by the river, bottling the water and selling it. And that's good because sometimes you need somebody that can do that. But somewhere along the way, you forget that the actual point is the river behind you. Um, and that's what we oftentimes have gotten lost. And so, yes, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. And we ought to be experts in, in how little we know. And just getting people in touch with that massive mystery because it's beautiful. Marty, you've just given me my new favorite phrase, rubbing shoulders with God. Like what an image. Like I'm, I'm sure. that's, that's going to mess with me for a while and I love it. So uh, what an image. Thanks for that, uh, that gift. So if you talk about pastors, uh, as you said, like that they would experience the joy and the release and the rest and the mystery that's all there how if they began to taste that extrapolate that out a little bit how would that influence their people now, it's not even their people the people of god and how they speak and how they preach and how they live and how they serve and minister if they got that kind of joy and release and passion that you speak of yeah well it would they you know they would be that priestly conduit um like that priest has a has a role of almost being a conduit of putting god on display of connecting people to this thing that they just need that little, they need a catalyst to be connected to that. So that, that would, that would over, they keep going back and they keep turning around and then turning back around. They keep going both directions. And so this whole, this whole thing they experience would, would overflow and, and then become, because really right now, like whatever it is that we, we see when we look at the people of God, good or bad, it's just a reflection of where by and large leadership is and what we have understood and what we've handed them. 
Mm. They haven't, they haven't gone on their own journey in a vacuum. They've gone on the journey that we've led them on, um, as clergy and, and church leaders and for good and bad for both those things, which I know when, when I say this, when we're talking about this, we like, we definitely want to like, when I talk about joy, <laughs> uh, let's make sure it's like a deeply rooted, not a cheap, we're not talking about like, this is also going to be like a journey through crisis and silence and doubt, like, like not just like, Oh, I, I wonder if I don't know all that. No, I mean like serious, like personal doubt. Um, but if those are the things like one of my mentors, uh, who I won't use his name here, but one of my, one of my mentors, um, has always been one of my just unbelievable spiritual dads. And in the last season of his life, stepped out of ministry was he's still in the spot where he's like, man, I don't even know what I believe about God right now. I believe in him. And in some ways I believe in him even more, but not in the same ways I you that honest, vulnerable, authentic journey. And I would still, I would attach joy to him. Like he's like, but it's so good. I can't even tell you Marty why, because it's not what seminary taught me. I've given up on half of that stuff but it's so good and God is so good. And my life is like more, it's more humming with reverence than it was before. That's the kind of honest, that's contagious. He doesn't have a program he's walking me through. And yet as a mentor, what he's sharing with me, it just overflows. And I'm like, well, I want more of that because if I taste that and then I turn around to like, no, everybody, here's the seven key steps to being a happy Christian. Well, I know which one I'm, I know which one I'm going back to for a drink. And it's, mm. it's so when you have that released, you can be more authentic. You can be more open. You can be more, that's where the joy comes from. So I definitely don't want to give the impression like a cheap, like a deeply rooted, Oh, this is real. This is where God's at. I don't even know where he's at. I don't even know if he exists. And yet at the same time, this is it, uh, that, that will overflow. Yeah. And that, yeah. that will impact the way that other people come to God. For sure. That will change the people of God because they see it in their leaders, but we're so afraid to show it because we're so afraid we're going to lose the job. Um, but uh, an act of faithfulness, it'll be good. The water bottling factories along the river are quite demanding, are they not? <laughs> yes, they sure are. They sure are. Especially when they hide your paycheck at the bottom of one of those bottles of water. <laughs> so obviously we, uh, we love the, the Bema discipleship podcast. We're, uh, we absolutely want our hearers here on the Monday morning pastor podcast to check it out. Marty, uh, you and Brent and what you're doing with the podcast. It's this single podcast. The only podcast I listen to where I stop in the middle of a run or a walk and pull out a piece of paper and write it down. Or I text myself, pick up at 1732 of podcast episode 147 and re-listen to it. It's the, it's the only one, man. And uh, so we just really want to tell our listeners, please, if you want to understand it, the whole goal of this is we're just trying to whet your appetite to be thirsty so that you can drink from that water, uh, from that river. And uh, so... Uh, it's great stuff. So with that being said, that is the number one resource. But for those of us who might be leaning in on this podcast and saying, we want to know more, we want to hear more in addition to the podcast, what are some other resources if people just want an easy on-ramp to this kind of Jewish hermeneutical approach to what you're talking about? Yeah. Um, and that's a good question. I kind of, I get that question a lot and I'm still trying to figure out how to answer it better and better. Um, I mean, there are some amazing, like if podcast is the right venue and people are looking for just more of that same medium, there's some great people out there. Like obviously the Bible project just leads the way with half this stuff. Um, Peter ends the Bible for normal people, just fantastic, phenomenal. Um, I think Tim Mackey even has his own podcast, uh, my strange Bible. Um, there's all kinds of great stuff out there. Um, when it comes to like resources and, and, and books to read, I mean, some of my great, so, uh, alephbeta.org is, uh, is Rabbi David Foreman's, he's just been a, I've never met Rabbi Foreman in person. He doesn't even know I exist, uh, but he has, I know on the podcast. Uh, yo, oh, yeah. do I? It's just, <laughs> it is, he is fantastic. Um, and I've just learned a ton from his online virtual academy. 
Um, now he's not a believer in Jesus, very, very Jewish, very Orthodox. And he'll even have an occasional comment every now and then about what he thinks about Christians. So like it's that, but if you just want like a Jewish perspective, when you're dealing with the Hebrew scriptures, what a great well to get some perspective from. Um, and, and, and there's that, uh, I know Lois, uh, Lois Tourberg is uh, when somebody comes to me, okay, I need to start. I have no idea where to start. I just want to start. Okay. Well, Lois Tourberg, um, has all kinds of books, but sitting at the feet of Rabbi Jesus, walking in the dust of Rabbi Jesus, reading my Bible with Rabbi Jesus, just super accessible yeah, those are and great. yet very profound. Yeah, good. Um, so a great gateway. Uh, the Epic of Eden by Sandra Richter is always just a book that I just throw at people, especially in Genesis. Um, just kind of start with this. Um, and and there are just, I mean, I have a 10-page bibliography. I'm only through one and a half pages that Ray <laughs> gave me from years ago. And just... We try to link a ton of resources in the show notes of the podcast for some of those, um, some of those reasons. And obviously there are just names. Read anything by N.T. Wright. Read anything by, I mean, there are just Kenneth Bailey. There, there are voices that depend on what it is you're studying. But um, I, I start with Tourberg. I start with Epic of Eden. Uh, I, I love Thomas Cahill's The Gifts of the Jews. Mm. Um, and there's, yeah, it's hard to, there's just such a, such a library and it's hard to know which books to pull off first but those are definitely uh some of the most helpful for me that's good well man it's been uh it's been great to have you on we're so grateful for the opportunity for you to share with us and um Man, I mean, we could do this for another hour and a half, two hours, uh, but we want to let you go. We know you have some recording and some uh, brainstorming to do there with your co-hosts there with your own podcast, but uh, you've given us such a gift, Marty, and it's good to reconnect with you after all these years since that Epic Fail Pastors Conference. And uh, we just as two uh, fans of yours and uh, beneficiaries of your podcast want to just say to you and Brent, keep going. Thank you for the gift uh, that you all have given to the world through your podcast. And uh, man, it just has helped me not only fall more in love with the scriptures, but more importantly with this, uh, this God of the scriptures that we read about, especially through his son, his incarnated son, Jesus Christ. So we're really grateful. And uh, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And, and I'm glad you worded it that way. It, it, it is just a gift we bless God for. We're glad that we get to do what we love and people say thank you. That is a good gig. When you can get in that kind of spot, you are blessed. And so, yeah, we bless God for that. We're going to just kind of try to keep stewarding this well and, and finding as much humility as we hopefully can through the process. So, yeah, thank you. Doug, I don't know about you, but I could have listened to Marty talk for another few hours. I kind of had a little bit of like fanboy moment there. <laughs> quite honest with you, not the first time, won't be the last time with the so, money pastor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So deeply grateful for him. And again, our, that first Epic Failed Pastors Conference we did years ago, you were there as well, and so we just didn't even know uh, that we were in the same room necessarily with Marty at the time, but. Uh, it kind of followed him from afar and then just recently up close, but mm. I'm so grateful. His passion came out, right? You can tell even through a microphone, even if you're just listening, we could see him, but you can just tell when people are passionate about yes. what they're talking about. And he's one of them. Absolutely. I mean, uh, even when he answered the question about, you know, what would it look like if pastors sort of caught the vision of what you're trying to, 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 to have people catch. When he talked about reading the Bible, he helps people find joy and release and wonder in the sense of like, ah, uh, I mean, that, that was, that was just such, uh, like, I just felt this passion welling up in him, which was like contagious and pouring over to me. And it was just making me like, want to pick up my Bible and read it. Um, and just even just begin to pray that way. Like, Lord, help me to see this, like, as this thing that that produces wonder and mystery. And I don't know, man, there's just so many good things that I feel like he said. Um, but what are some things that we can kind of, I don't know, I guess, jump in on what, what really stuck out to you, JR? Well, uh, everything was a highlight. I feel like if I were reading a book and I had a highlighter in my hand, like the whole page would be highlighted, you know, uh, there were very few things that weren't helpful. But um, again, for our listeners who don't know who Ray Vanderlaan is, I think that's a, that's a great entry point. Just Google Ray 
Vander, and then Lon is L-A-A-N. And uh, about 15, 20 years ago is the first time I heard about Ray and these uh, That the World May Know video series through folks on the family. Just fantastic stuff. And that's my parents, when I was in high school, they were doing that video series together with others in their small group. And so I just want to really encourage people, if you really want to know kind of the stream of where uh, Marty has been swimming. A lot of it is in the Ray Vanderlaan stream, which is a fantastic stream. So I, I think that's important for our for our listeners to know. And also to say, it just made me want to go back to Israel and wanted me, wanted me to go back to Turkey and Greece, even though I was just there less than a year ago, um, because you really begin to go, oh, that's what Jesus meant. Oh, and Paul's writing to that church in Ephesus. It's that community that he's writing it to. And this place is huge, and look at all the minority of Christians here. So you just begin to see the scriptures differently. Um, so if there's any chance, we're not, you know, we're not some like travel tourism site or anything like that. But there's any way that you can get to Israel, any way you can get to Greece or Turkey, do it. It's expensive, but it's priceless, and you'll be able to read your Bible. Um, you won't be able to read your Bible the same again. So it just made me want to go back to Israel and Turkey and Greece, to be honest with you. But mm. I love the phrase when he talked about rubbing shoulders with God. Oh, that was good. Sort of that priestly role, which, you know, the pastors today are in sort of that priestly role. And I love how he said, it's not that we're experts, but that we have intimacy with God and that we want to say, hey, this is what it's like to be able to rub shoulders with and this God who uh, wants to be intimate with us. So that really stuck out to me. And uh, yeah, how about you? Yeah, I think too, just realizing the importance of having an opportunity to um, to learn from people and just the importance of all of that is, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the way that we think about discipleship really needs to be challenged in terms of an unlearning and learning process because I, yeah, I think we've just grown up in these areas where, or in the, in churches, which are good, but we've been so, uh, enmeshed in a cultural reading of scripture and a way to understand it that to hop out of that and to be able to see it from a different perspective is just so important. So yeah. yeah, that, that really stuck out to me. And I loved his story, um, coming from a place. And, and I think you, you helped frame that well for me too, um, years ago, but it's like that, that deconstruction and reconstruct, you know, uh, deconstruction and then hopeful reconstruction is the space where I think that's such an important way forward for, for pastors and even being equipped in how to do that is such an important thing for us. Um, but yeah, I mean, same way I feel like, I mean, I do highlight almost everything in good books. And so it just felt like the whole thing was just like, I wasted two highlighters on that, (laughs) that interview. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just that idea that like nothing, nothing has messed with my theology more than reading my Bible when I read it accurately. And nothing messes with my understanding of who Jesus actually is than when I read my Bible accurately. Yeah. Which is why understanding the culture and the context. I was thinking about this recently. If, if someone were to say, um, I'm mad about my flat in America, that means I'm angry because I got a flat tire. But if someone says I'm mad about my flat and you're from England, that means I'm crazy and I absolutely love my apartment. So here's one statement, but read mm. in one context means one thing and read in another thing, another context means something else. I'm mad about my flat. Imagine if we read all the words of scripture through the lens of which a Jewish audience was intended of a Jewish Messiah named Jesus was intended to be read. We would read it differently from I'm angry about a flat tire to I'm crazy about how much I love my apartment. Mm. So just a, a small little thing like that. Why context is so crucial. That's so good. Yeah. That and the context, and I think my sense is some pastors feel like, Oh, well, you know, how much learning is that? And like, where do I find time to do it? And you know, am, am I missing out? It's like, dude, I think what's great is even listening to uh, the Bema, the, the Bema Discipleship podcast, it's like you get those opportunities right yeah. there. Like they're at our fingertips. It's not like you need to go back to school and learn all these things. Maybe like that's awesome. But I think it's, and I appreciate what he said. A lot of it is about posture. 
it's yes, not just about great. your your brain. You know, having having a posture that says like I want I want the scripture to read me mm-hmm. and to mess with me and to have mastery over me, opposed to me mastering it. Um, I mean, I feel like my friends who are poets, they get that. You know, mm-hmm. they they allow words to master them, opposed to the you know opposed to them mastering words, and so. I think there's just something really, really unique there. Yeah. So Jared, what are some resources you want to leave us with? Um, what books? Yeah. I feel like it, that could be a whole list of resources. Absolutely. <laughs> sure. And, and uh, obviously we'd start with the Bema, the Bema Discipleship Podcast, uh, B-E-M-A Discipleship. Uh, just type that into iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify and it'll come up uh, s- several years of content. And so we want to recommend it. And our challenge too is see if you can listen to two podcasts, episodes of Bema Discipleship sometime in the next uh, couple of weeks. So that's the first thing. Um, he listed a whole bunch of books, a whole bunch of resources, which we're going to put in the show notes. And even when you listen to the Bema Discipleship podcasts, each episode has several resource lists underneath it. So you can get lost in the resources of this, which is a good thing. But, um, but it also made me think too, two things that have helped me tremendously in addition to visiting um, Israel and Turkey and Greece are these um, these resources put out by University Press called the IVP Bible Background Commentary. And uh, uh, there's a New Testament and there's an Old Testament, Volume 1, Old Testament, Volume 2, New Testament. So good that gives you background information of culture and language and ritual that help you understand as you're studying or doing teaching prep or whatever it may be, the original context. I don't know, it's about $30, $40. But for me, I, I bought that, I don't know, 15 years ago. And there's never a time I preach where I don't pull that out. Double negative. I always pull that out <laughs> when I'm prepping uh, to preach because it's so good. So a whole bunch of resources. Again, we'll list them in the show notes, but uh, there's only, o- almost so many that we could uh, overwhelm people. <laughs> yeah. We're like, yeah, I, I, listened, I listened to the podcast and it took me four hours to get through the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> so Doug, what are, what are a couple of questions that we can leave our listeners with? Yeah, two. two. Um, how can you put yourself in a posture to rub shoulders with God this week? Um, that's the first one. And the second one, when was the last time you experienced joy, wonder, and release reading the Bible? And if you can't think of anything, I want to challenge you to just posture yourself that way before scripture this week. Mm-hmm. Well, Doug, send us out here today. Yeah. So uh, brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus, may you know that as you go, uh, as you walk into this week, that you're not walking alone. In fact, you're actually following. And may you follow the rabbi Jesus. May you recognize that his word is a light and a lamp that it leads us into all areas of truth. And may you also recognize that God is longing to rub shoulders with you as you read the scripture and as you gauge with him today and in this week to come. 